Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Morning Podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Moreover Podcast, we are Moreover Rugby Podcast on Facebook. You can find all of our content on uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify and Anchor and loads of uh, other places. Um, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about the weekend's rugby. We're joined this week um, by the Housewives favourite, Phil, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Good man, good man. Uh, ben, who I gave an absolute seeing to at golf on Friday, but we'll come to that in a minute. I mean, that's not a lie. It's, it's absolutely not a lie. <laughs> um, and back for his second appearance, Bristol Bears fan, ex-hack, uh, Ryan Keyshaw. How are you doing? Thanks, Russ. Thank, really uh, pleased to be back. All of the uh, the good press that you had on your uh, on your last visit to the podcast didn't didn't put you off coming back. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Um, it was really interesting. It, it was uh, everyone was asking me. They were like, "But Doug like stopped and went out somewhere and then came back on. What was going on?" And I was like, "I think he was like in his car for a bit. I don't know. It was all a bit crazy." Yeah, but um, people like the chat. I think yeah. there's something to say about guys talking about issues that the rugby press don't cover. Yeah, less, no, um, sort of no holds barred, I guess. It's more yeah. about fans' opinion than uh, than what people actually want to read. I mean, Doug sent me some messages over the weekend. Um, the first title was Rugby is Fucked. <laughs> um, and, I, and I just, you know, trying to make conversation. Why, why is that, mate? <clears throat> Uh, so, and, and this will all be coming up in the next few weeks of the, the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, the Lensman's not with us tonight. He's at the darts, um, which might please some certain uh, sections of the, the Premiership public, uh, namely those teams that play in black. Um, but Doug's reply to rugby is fucked is you've got terrible laws that fuck the flow of the game. Scrums are a farce. Nobody knows how to tackle. Six yellow cards every match. Fans cheering cards. 
Waterboys and medics giving refs grief. Fans thinking it's okay not to stick to salary rules because they provide for players, uh, provide players for international teams. Incomprehensible tactics. Uh, I could go on. So I just replied to, yeah, lovely. That's that's great. Thanks, mate. Um, and the next bit is bloggers and Twitter accounts setting the agenda of the game. Teams full of foreign players on holiday, refereeing celebrities, <laughs> uh, Andy Good, and money. So. Over the next few weeks, I'd imagine when the lensman comes back, we might hear a little bit about that, Ben. I'm surprised he didn't throw women commentators in there. <laughs> God, let's not even go down that road. Let's not even go. And having said that, I thought, um, I actually thought that uh, Mo Hunt did a really good job yesterday for Saracens Exeter. I don't know what you, you guys think. You're not going to throw her under the bus, but uh, I, I actually thought she was quite entertaining. She she deserves another chance. I'll, I'll go that far. I don't think she was excellent, but she was certainly not the worst commentator that I've ever heard. No, and that person, ironically, was on the on the same broadcast <laughs> and 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 presents a podcast that uh, lots and lots of people listen to. Lads, 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 banter, banter, banter. Um, I think they should just um, stick with Emily Scarrett all the time because she's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are plenty. There are plenty. Maggie Alfonte is good as well. Yeah, she was really good at the World Cup, wasn't she, on, yeah, on ITV? Really um, yeah, so let's, let's start on Friday night, Ryan, at Ashton Gate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, absolutely no problem. Um, Bristol versus Wasps. It was, it was a bit of an odd game of two halves, really, wasn't it? A real... Arm wrestle, lots of mistakes, errors, things not quite clicking for both sides in the first half. And then second half, it was very much toe-to-toe with Wasps coming out on top in the end. Um, you know, How do you sum up Bristol's performance on Friday night? I was worried about this game before. I was worried about it the day before because um, since we've been promoted, we haven't beat Wasps or Worcester. So there are bogey teams. Wasp play a similar style to us, so it's never good. And what really annoyed me as well was we sold out. We pretty much sold out the ground, and it was this: oh, we're going to put on a celebration, we're going to put on a party for all the Bristolians coming back. And I was like, no, you need to go out and just win a rugby match. Don't. They already had their mindset. And I don't know if you guys saw the warm up. Nathan Hughes was running around with a smile on his face, joking with the cameraman, and I was like. These boys aren't prepared. They are literally going out there, going to try and throw it all around and thinking that will win them the game. And do you know what? It proved right because, and uh, sorry, and the third thing I was worried about was, I don't know if you guys saw the Saris game, but Sial Pietal, uh, Charles's brother, is our inside centre. He's out for five months and Saracens are just running through our midfield. Wasp ran through our midfield. I don't know if you saw the tries, straight yeah. through there. We've got a real issue there. So those three factors, I thought, oh, we're going to lose this. I thought we'd nipped it in the end, and then Charles didn't seem to tackle Nazim Carr. So it was just, I'm really worried about us now. It, it's a, yeah. uh, you say, say why they're, they're not going to be any danger of them going down. I mean, you mentioned there the the midfield, the the tries from Umaga, Fekitoa, Manasse, they all came from breaks through the midfield. Was it Leua and O'Connor? In the midfield yeah. for Bristol. And, and, and they've had to put someone there because Sam Bedlow had an 
an awful game against Saris. He had a really good game against Stad the week before that. But they've had to put someone there, and we don't have a natural 12. And you've got young fly half. And if you bring on another fly half, he's even younger. And you've got young scrum half. So where is the seniority there? You need... I. If I was Pat Lamb, I'd be getting on the phone to Auckland looking for an experienced 12 who could come and do some injury cover. Was, really that not, was that not always a risk, Ryan, with this Bristol squad that if they stick out their first 22, it looks solid and they've got good guys on the bench to come off the, off the bench throughout the game? As soon as you start getting a handful of injuries, the squad depth just isn't there. And it, I, it, just, yeah. it just happens to be the midfield. But is is it not a case across the board that two or three key injuries and they're, and they're going to look weak in, in parts? I don't think... I, don't, I think you're partly right here. And the reason I'm going to say that, if we had a few injuries in the front row, we've got good backup. Yeah. I'd say second row, good backup. Back row, good backup. I think the problem is in the backs. I think you're right. And Pat Lamb said this. He has... What we've done is we've spent big money on the backbone of the team. So you've got a good number eight. You've got a, a good fourth choice fly half who's on the money who's probably out the club at the end of the season you've got a full back and you've got the odd winger and you've got a good back row when you've then got mediocre championship players who've upskilled and some have been good like Piers O'Connor had a great season last season breakthrough look at Andy Urian who didn't have a good game Saturday but he has been good in the past you look at um, you know Harry you look at other players they can upskill, but you're right. They are a team of good championship, average premiership players playing in a good way and a good system with really good key players. And when there is a bit of depth in the backs that's not doing well, this is when you've got this issue. So you're right. That's that's where you spend the money. You know, it's it's not like it's not like Bath, for instance. Let's face it, Bath. If you've got two centres injured, you've got like a Max Clark, is it? And you've got you know, you've got JJ, you've just got names, you've got Jamie Roberts. Just oh no, Bannon's left. He's at Gloucester. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But do you know what I mean? It's Edit like... that, please, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> but next season, I'm hoping, I'm hoping one of the best things of the semi Red Rada signing is he can play 13 and wing. So he has that flexibility there. But at the moment, I would, if I was Pat Lamb, I'd be on the phone to Auckland going, who's there available? Who's 12? who's solid, who can put in a solid D game, who's a veteran. You know, like when I remember years ago, we signed Brian Lima for a couple of seasons and his captaincy and his, his, he kept us up a season just from his, you know, his experience. So something like that would be great. But hats off to Wasps. They needed the win much more than us. They got it. And Pat Lamb's yeah. right. You know, the whole, he, they did let down the whole city because they overcooked it. Was, obviously, you say Wasps needed the win and they did. Was it a case very much, though, of Wasps took advantage of a weakness in Bristol's defence as opposed to Wasps deserved that win? Yeah, I, I said as, that. As you're said, exactly it all, right. It all came down that same channel. Um, I, I'll admit I've only seen highlights of the game, but they, they didn't look like there was much else coming from Wasps other than mistakes in the Bristol's defence in, in that outside channel. And two of them were from first base, so you're exactly right. They'd done their homework. They watched where Saris has scored, and and I said to my mate who came up, I said like, I'm really worried about our midfield, and he's like, yeah, and that's exactly where they did it. They did their homework and they executed it. You know, I think, and also, we failed to take our chances. Bristol, 
and making breaks, whereas last season we that last miracle pass would stick and someone would go over, like the Andy Uren try against Gloucester. Um, these things aren't happening at the moment. They aren't sticking. And that's talking about the B team as well. When they're putting out weakened sides to Europe, they're getting caught 10 metres short and then we recycling and we're not scoring. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned fairly early on there. Um, Andy Uren didn't have his best game in the first half, and Pat Lamin said himself he wanted to to quicken the game up in the second half, which was it was almost to Bristol's detriment because the the quicker the game got, the more the more loose they became, and that just created those holes for for Fekatoa and for Minotsi to to run through. Um, I wanted to just touch on. Uh, Luke Pierce is refereeing for for a, a couple of seconds. Um, I was re- I used to be a massive fan, or I still am, I suppose, a, a fan of Luke Pierce as a referees. You know, he's done a bit. Um, was he at the World Cup, Luke Pierce? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and yeah. he's been he's he's been you know one of the sort of the young shining lights. But over the last couple of weeks, his his re- is he's made some really big big errors from from what i can see and you know the the Leicester Exeter game and now and now this game right at the end of the game he penalized Joe Launchbury which gave Bristol the lead and that last that penalty um and it was there was a couple of phases before that where he punished um one of the Bristol players for something similar that you know it just wasn't a penalty um and that ultimately could have could have cost wasps the victory um, as it was, it didn't, um, and was managed to go right down the other end of the score. I think, um, I think Piertau managed, thought that Nathan, was it Nathan Hughes that yeah. there as well? I think he thought that Hughes was going to get him and he kind of switched off. I don't know, I don't know what yeah. he was doing, but, um, it, it seemed to be wasps coming together a little bit, um, at the right time. They've got some some good fixtures coming up as far as Worcester are concerned. Or they're at home to Saints. Then they've got a couple of European games. Then they've got Worcester and the Tigers in successive weeks. So for Wasps, it is, you know, it's a, a decent time for them to be to be starting to find some form. I think Sopoaga is going to be fit soon as well. Um, you know, and it, Wasps will be okay if they if they keep playing in that manner with a little bit of confidence, um, especially when you can compare them to perhaps Leicester, who are, um, you know, right in a, in the middle of a shitstorm at the moment. Ben, you wanted to, to drop in? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that perhaps, um, you know, Wasps, perhaps it is coming together a little bit. They've had a young fly half slotted in there. He looks to be playing, sort of growing into it and playing a lot better. Fekito is a new signing. So, you know, perhaps that wasn't gelling straight away and the more games they play to get together perhaps the better they'll get and it might be a good time for them to come into form if they've got those games like you mentioned um i still think they're going to be nearer the bottom half than the top half by the end of the season for sure but you know there are some more encouraging signs there um not least that london irish seem to be shooting themselves in the foot uh rate or not so um yeah it's good to see the the young lad have have a good game at 10. I think, you know, it's, it's good to see a young 10 sort of perform like that. And especially one that's, that's English. So he, he missed a couple of kicks early as well, which must've 
kind of dented his confidence a little bit. But then to come back and and play the way he played in the second half was was really good from from the young lad. Yeah, and he, he knocked that kick over at the end, didn't he? Um, yeah. I did think some of the sort of accounts online went a bit overboard with that last try because, you know, they, they reacted like it was something from the moon, whereas, you know, we've all seen a last-minute try to win a game. I didn't, you know, it was like that um, South Park meme, wasn't it? Um, you know, and the, there was one sort of clear-out that seemed to get missed by the referee in the midst of it where one of the Wasps... Um, Substitutes came from somewhere along the lines yeah. of Thornbury to clear someone out. <laughs> yeah, he, he came. He came from North Bristol. That was what's that. Yeah, uh, it was Villiano. Was it Villiano? Villiano. It was the the replacement back row on it. He, he yeah. launched off his feet. But these things get missed at the Brighton. Yeah, they do all the time. Yeah, and yeah, you, um, could, you could give a penalty at every ruck for somebody going off their feet. And the, the trial by social media and, and Twitter, especially some of the, you know, we we could probably end up talking at length about rugby fans on Twitter that have got yeah. absolutely zero perspective of of how intense the game is. Um, and if you did want to, and if a referee actually could be asked you could penalize one team or another with a penalty at pretty much every breakdown yeah yeah and that's not to take away anything from the try which was a, a very good try um but you know two two bad sides of twitter all came into play in that one <laughs> yeah well there were there were some bad sides of twitter all weekend um of, of will of which we'll we'll come on to um have you got any more thoughts on on Bristol, Brian, or or, or would you like us to uh, to swiftly move on? I mean, this weekend um, you find yourselves away at Leicester. Good time to be playing Leicester, but you well, know. Well, is it? We'll come on to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, true. Well, I just want to come back on your Luke Pearce comment. Um, yeah, maybe there were some decisions, but at least he was consistent for both sides. So. Yeah, I'm still a fan. I know it's not great, and also, it's very hard of a. Uh, I think that penalty you're talking about with the Launchbury one, which wasn't a penalty in my book, I think it's very hard. That's the effect of a sellout partisan crowd. Yeah. I think you know if you're used to twelve thousand most weeks, six thousand at sale. <laughs> uh, our friends on the other yeah. podcast will like that one, and uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you're suddenly going to twenty four thousand, twenty five thousand. It is you know. I don't think many wasp fans made the trip down. I do. I do try really hard not to to go in on referees in general because you know it's it's a tough job and and people, you know, some some referees like to be a bit more involved than others. And maybe, as I say, as I said on Twitter, is that the last two weeks I've watched games that Luke Pierce has refereed. Just just so happens that they've both been on telly and. You know, it's not very often you see the same referees over and over again, and unless you're you're Wayne Barnes, I suppose. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Maybe maybe I'm being a little bit unfair on on Luke Pierce. Um, let's uh, let's shift on to Saturday. The first game on Saturday uh, was at uh, Franklin's Gardens, Northampton versus Gloucester. Uh, defense optional. Louis Rees-Samet. Who would have thought a young eighteen-year-olds comes in sort of the youngest hat trick, uh, or the the youngest hat trick in Premiership history? Was it? I think. 
um, 18 years and X amount of days. He's a very, he's a very good player. I, I said the other week, he reminds me a little bit of a, a young Johnny May, but with purpose. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's got wheels. Um, he knows where the try line is and he reads the game pretty well for an 18 year old. Um, he must be English though. He's got to be English. He's got to have an English passport. That's that's my residing memory of the game. Is just a certain commentator trying to convince somebody who's already pledged their allegiance to Wales that actually they're English by shouting it down the microphone. He did that a lot, didn't he, on commentary? Almost every well, time the ball went anywhere near him. It's because he's a prick. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that, that that'll do. Um, Clear that up. Yeah, <laughs> this, this seems like a, a, a fairly decent time. Um, Dan Bigger, right? Okay. Um, Dan Bigger was very vocal on Saturday, and he has been very vocal for the last few weeks. And again, this might be because it's it's becoming more noticeable in general. Um, but the amount that he was talking to the referee, um, and I can't for life me remember who it was. Um, it's really starting to grate on me, the the back chatting or the, the constant chatting to referees. I mean, there, there was a time where nobody could speak to the referee other than the captain. It would just, there would be no engagement. You just, nobody would talk. And that was for the best. But now it seems like every every breakdown, someone's shouting, sir, look at this. And then you've got these so-called superstars. Dan Bigger was, was, has been guilty of it over recent weeks. Um, Owen Farrell yesterday, Billy Vulapola to a certain extent. The Worcester water boy. Yeah, the Worcester, the Worcester water boy. Doug's, uh, Doug made a bit of a comment on that as well. He was there on, on Saturday. Um, it Remem- just... Remember, I've played games with you as well, Russ. That's true. Oh. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, so going back to your original Twitter message with Doug, Doug's wrong about what's ruining rugby. What's ruining rugby is this kind of win-at-all-costs, absolute lack of respect for other people associated with the game that's being perpetuated. And I don't know, is it a consequence of professionalism? Potentially. Um, but as, as as more and more money's got involved, there's more and more justification for people just being utter pricks about things. You're right, Billy Vinopola, every time he's like, oh, that's a mall. Why wasn't that a mall, sir? Why wasn't that a mall? We had him held up. Um, at, showing an absolute total lack of respect for the referee. Um, and actually, one of the questions that's come through on Twitter was about the Ali Williams thing, which we'll come to later. Do you know what? That's that's a bit of handbags. What what pisses everybody off is the back chat to the ref and the ref's not manning up and doing something about it. I said on the on the WhatsApp group during the Exeter game, why why are the refs not marching players back ten yards? If they start marching them back and they do it a couple of times, or like Billy Villapola should have ended up in the bin. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, the ref totally gave him three three chances to get get away and told him to get away. Send him to the bin. Be done with and, it. And actually show show. Make them show a bit of respect, and actually, it's perpetuated. Sorry, Russ, I'm just going to no, go on, carry finish, on. My, finish my rant a little bit. It's perpetuated by the head coaches as well, because it's the head coaches that are driving this win at all costs. There's always been a thing where on the pitch you push things to the very limit of how far <clears> you can get away with, and you play the referee. 
And but the referee pings you, you go, that's fine, I'm gonna take my punishment. And that's still generally the way. All it needs is the ref to start pinging some of the back chat. But when you've got a former head coach of Saracens turning around and giving shit to Exeter because Saracens got caught broaching the salary cap, saying, come on, Rob Baxter, surely you cheat every way that you can get away with cheating. Effectively, like Saracens, if they'd have put their hands up and said, you know what, we've tried to do something good for our players so they've got a decent life afterwards, I think they would have got a lot more um, a lot more sympathy from people. But instead, you've got somebody who was almost certainly complicit in similar occurrences happening previously, turning around and going, oh, well, it's just us trying to cheat and trying to get a better way of, of doing it. What kind of example does that set for the rest of the rugby playing community? No apologies. It's, it's actually, yeah, let's win, win at all costs. And I'm sorry, Brendan Venter, but you're a prick. That's completely unacceptable. Scrummages. Doug said, oh, this, uh, the Worcester game, oh, it's an absolute joke. It's 60-odd minutes for the first half and six minutes of scrummages after half time. We've all played in games where the scrums are an absolute mess. And there's almost a bit of an unwritten rule where you just go, let's get this finished. We know you're going to win the scrum. Let's let's get the ball in and out and let's actually play some rugby because this is no fun for anyone. But that's not the way with professional rugby. It's actually how can I how can I get an advantage out of this? And Exeter <laughs> fucking scrums doing my absolute nut. First scrum of every match, they get pinged for an early push because they're just trying to see how far the ref will let them get away with pushing before the ball's in. That's pissing me off, and that's absolutely doing but, my nut. But we've praised we've praised Eddie Jones's England in the past for giving away early penalties around the breakdowns um, to see how far see, that they can push the officials. I, I get it, right? But, let's let's not get into to Exeter right now because we're going to come on to Exeter in a minute. Um, but it's, we can... yeah, it's not coming about them. It's about rugby as a whole and what professionalism is doing, and it's basically turning everybody into into cheating bastards <laughs> fair enough ben um right phil's probably going to sledge me in a minute but um yeah I've, I've not got a lot of problem with a little bit of mild cheating um m- more power to everyone's elbow what i would say about talking to the referee is there's um i think it's the the actual questioning of the referee more than actually than talking to him during the game i think if i think it's very difficult if you're in, in the vicinity of a ruck and you see someone holding onto the ball or going off their feet, not to give a little bit of advice. And um, I, I think, I don't think referees mind that too much, but it's when then it's not given and then the player starts to ask why or in stronger terms than that, or to, to even sort of cast sort of doubt on the referee. I think that's when they perhaps step over the line Um you don't get that a huge amount, but it, it does seem to get a little bit more widespread at the moment. And um, it seems to be, it does seem to be Ben slightly more higher profile players who may feel like they're not going to get punished. Yeah, I think, I mean, scrum halves have done it since the dawn of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's, let's just exempt them. They, they've, they've been gobshites for, for all of history so like take them out of the equation um fly abs i think you know they, they're very high profile they're used to getting their own way a little bit they call the moves and stuff and it seems to come from that direction a lot um 
big bigger i think i think bigger that's just him isn't it he's he's done it since he's been playing um i think at a lower level a referee might tune him out but because you've got microphones you've got cameras picking it all up it's it's not quite so easy to do that and it gets picked up on the television um so so my point is i i do agree with phil but i think there's different um shades of gray there and uh some of it is a lot worse than others yeah so there's there's nothing wrong with somebody going is that ball out sir or just asking the referee for for a bit of advice there's nothing wrong with somebody going afterwards um after a penalty, what was that for, sir? Or, or or anything? It's it's the lack of respect that comes from it. And and actually, I don't think the referees are helping themselves. I think if they if Dan Bigger gets pinged early in a game, he'll keep his mouth shut, or he'll get pinged again and again. And I suspect he'll get pinged again and again. If Owen Farrell gets pinged early in a game, I reckon he would keep his mouth shut because I think he's probably a bit more calculated about the whole thing. Do, do you but think they should? I just. Sorry, Ben, go on. Do you think they should go back to being a bit more like um, like our old school teachers? Because I thought Barnes did a really good job on Sunday, but it was like, oh, Harry Williams, come here, and Owen, and, and yeah. you know, first names. And, and it would have been perhaps if he just went three and yeah. ten. Yeah, no, yeah. no, potentially. I think it does appear that they've got a bit more personal relationship than we would have had with any referees that, that we've had. But I, ju- I don't know. I just I just think that that those tweets from Venter just really riled me and got my goat and made me think, actually, as much as the back chat gets on everybody's nerves, is it, is it something a bit more um, insipid and dirty within the game about, about people wanting to win at all costs. And I, and I think it potentially is. And I think it's something that rugby wants to avoid fairly quickly. Um, like, shit happens in a match and, and we've all, well, certainly three out of the four of us have been guilty of perhaps giving a bit of lip when we shouldn't. Um, and, and I'll hold my hands up and say, I've, I've been as guilty as anybody else. But equally, I'm the first person to say, sorry, and keep my mouth shut for the next 20 minutes afterwards. And, and it doesn't seem to be that, that level of respect. I, I've, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever, even when I was playing as a scrum half as a kid, I don't think and maybe I should have done, ever gone, oh, that was a knock-on, sir. Oh, oh, he's off his feet. He's off his feet or anything like that. As a, like, I just, how can you ref with that kind of shit going on in your ears? And how can a coach come out and say that it's perfectly acceptable to bend the rules and cheat as much as possible to try and win? What does that say about rugby? Yeah. Anyway, my, let- my existential <laughs> crisis is over. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Phil. Um, let, let's dip back quickly then to, to Franklin's Gardens. Um, Dan Bigger did go off um, in this game, which kind of quietened things down a little bit uh, after half time. Um, but George, for this this Saints backline seems to just keep getting better and better. George Furbank went and stepped in at ten. Um, Tuala came on at fullback, and I know Tuala isn't uh, one of Doug's favourites, but he had a, a decent game. Um, but he uh, the 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 last line of defence from Saints on a couple of occasions was 
absolutely incredible. And, and you could argue that Gloucester should have probably scored a couple of times had it not been for some some decision-making from Marshall and Banahan. Um, but ultimately, it was a uh, almost the opposite of Exeter Saris with, uh, with the level of, of defence in general. As I say, I mentioned Louis Rees Summit scoring a hat-trick. Um, Kobus Reinach and his premium wine racks were... Uh, was on fire again, scoring a couple of fantastic tries. Talking um, of players whining. <laughs> well done. Um, and uh, yeah, another another deserved victory for Northampton that at the time kept them top of the uh, top of the Premiership. Um, it was it was another case of defences being poor out wide, though, wasn't it? it yeah. Was, like in there's not not much happening in tight, and both teams worked it out fairly quickly and we're going three or four passes out from second phase ball. Um, and it was a case of let's get it wide as quick as possible. Um, some, some fairly big cock-ups from Gloucester, I think. I think they, it was there for the winning for them. Not that they deserved it, but yeah, agree. Um, before we go on to the, the big game at Twickenham, Bath uh, beat Sale 16-14 um, at the wreck. Interestingly now for Bath, they've beaten um, Exeter, Northampton and Sale at home now. The guys coming back, Falatau was was back from injury, Francois Lowe, um, obviously back from the World Cup, as well as Joseph and Watson and, and those guys. Is it, you know, were we a bit harsh on Bath earlier in the season, a bit harsh on Stuart Hooper perhaps? Um, ben, as a as a Bath fan, you know, is it time to Frank Frank Rigdon and old Frank Aldinio asked us, is it time to reevaluate Bath um, now that they've got their big guns back? Well, I think people might have been a bit harsh on Hooper because he's only been there five minutes. I don't think they were too harsh on Bath at all because they were terrible. <laughs> you know, there's there's no denying the fact that they they were really awful, um, but. We, I think we raised the point last week that once they get sort of their big names back, they're a different side. You know, we, we said in the first week when they played Bristol, Mercer had to stay on because he was the only player that looked capable of creating anything. Well, now they've got Falatau and Lowe. They've got um, Joseph and Watson. And, you know, th- that's a whole different team. Um, you've got Jamie Roberts making acres of room for the touch judges. Um, <laughs> And, you know, um, J- Joseph looks really sharp. Um, you know, that was a nice try. It looked like one you score in uh, training in a four on three. But, um, you know, that was a good finish. Um, you know, Flatman said on, um, on, on, the t- on the telly, to be fair, their front five probably matches almost anyone. He really rates their front, their front row and they're, they're capable of fielding some pretty big lunks in the second row. So that's always going to give them a chance, especially on that potato patch they've, they've got at home. Um, so I, I, to be honest, I think lower mid-table is, is going to be their level this year. Um, but considering the first game of the season, that probably will not be too much of a disappointment for some of the fans because um, the start was pretty appalling. Ryan, what, what did you make of uh, Bath over the last couple of weeks? So, can I change the subject slightly on this game? Flip it. Have yeah. Sale won away from home this season? 
Good question. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. I'm not sure they have. I think they're a totally different team away. So they beat, um, oh, in the Premiership. So they drew, no, that was the end of last season. So they beat the uh, Premiership Rugby Cup. So they lost that home to Gloucester in the first Premiership game of the season. They won away at London Irish. Uh, lost away, at, yeah. Lost, lost away at Bristol. Won at home to Wasps. Lost away at Glasgow in the Champions Cup. Lost away at Exeter in the Champions Cup. Lost away at Worcester in the league. And now lost away at Bath. Yeah, but they beat Northampton at home. So yeah, you're right. I think they're a totally different side away. I don't think you can. I think there are better things coming for Bath. I think the real story is why can't Sale with the squad and players they've got win away? Just been put into so, shock by experiencing an atmosphere, haven't they? Well, going to a stadium or, or a pub, a park, recreation ground, which isn't a proper ground at all, no facilities. Getting <laughs> well, changed being, in a port cabin. Not being on the shit out of me. Not right next to a motorway. Yeah, not being on a bit of land <laughs> on an underpass. <laughs> not, it's, still not a, being, it's still a stadium. <laughs> not being on a set for a Channel Four drama. <laughs> um, it's, it's a good point, though. So on on uh, Frank's point, my my response to him was: it depends on what they want. If they want top four, I don't think what they've got at the moment will get them there personally. Um, and I think they need to do something different if they want as I termed it, mid-table mediocrity, so anywhere between 5th and 11th, um, then actually, yes, stick with Hooper and give him a bit more time and and he ought to get there Um, and give him a bit more chance to get in some of the right people that he needs, get players fit, etc. We've discussed it before, and and I kind of stand by what we said. I don't think any of us said that Stuart Hooper's not the right man for Bath in the long term. The issue is he's completely inexperienced at the job that he's doing and he's got no support. So he either needs somebody sat right behind him to give him suitable amounts of support, or he needs to be the person sat sat by the side of a head coach, yeah, learning the game off him. I mean, we we he he worked as a, a forwards coach under Blackadder last season, didn't he? And you know, Blackadder there was Blacker for a time. There was Blackadder and Toby Booth, who were both you know head coaches in their own right, working together. Um, although Blackadder was in charge. Now they've got Stuart Hooper as director of rugby and, and some inexperienced coaches sort of underneath him. So, you know, it, it's not a slight on, on Stuart Hooper as such. You know, he is first first year in the job. Um, one of the points I made previously is that, you know, how often do you see these romantic appointments working out for the best? You know, I love to see, or, you know, you you hope you like to see teams promoting from, it, from within and, keeping ethos and, and consistency and all that sort of stuff, rather than bringing in people from all, all over the place. But you just got to look at the, the job that, um, Oh my God, why, why is my mind gone blank? The guy, at, um, Northampton, Chris, Chris Boyd, Boyd, Chris Boyd. Boyd, what the job he's done over the last 18 months at, at Northampton to see that, you know, if you, if you get the right, the right coach at the right time, it makes all the difference. So I think so, where where those romantic appointments work is where they're part of a long-term structure and they lose a degree of romance as a result. But if you look at Exeter, they've probably got three or four people who in a couple of years' time could step up and do that job. Yeah. Effectively, that's what New Zealand do. The, they, they groom the next New Zealand coach as part of the current setup for three to four years. And 
then not that much changes. It just gets a slightly different emphasis, whereas Hooper's been properly chucked in. Um, on the sale point, I suspect it's because they can't compete financially, so they've all got to drive themselves <laughs> down. Playable <laughs> expenses. No, but it just seems like they're running themselves like a top 14 side, where they're just saving all their performances for home, and just they can't win away. They're like Leon. They're the Leon of the, the Leon of the gods. Premiership. I, yeah. I think they've got they've got the bus trip wrong, and they're drinking on the way down, not on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> With faff in his underpants. Oh yeah. gosh! Oh, did you see? Um, was it for Joseph's try? Faff got cleared, basically cleared out somewhere towards Radstock, and uh, <laughs> and and then tried to start a fight as Joseph's trotted over the line. Um, it was always nice to see. Um, let's. Doug was at Worcester on uh, on Saturday working, sending messages about the Worcester medic getting involved and shouting at the referee. Um, Matu, Matu, yeah, there's Ben. Ben, I should have got you to do that. Our uh, our resident pronunciation expert. Yeah, um, I I'd have nailed it, but now you'll never know. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, he, he got sent off for for a late. Uh, high shot on on Duncan Weir, um, who had himself a bit of a game in the first half as well. Um, London Irish, after their all their sort of good start and promise, are starting um, are starting to whether they fall away. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, that heavy defeat at home to Bath, and now you know losing away uh, at Worcester. Do you think? That slide is going to continue, Ryan, or are you going to? You think they're just going to have a bit of a blip? No, we. If you remember, Bristol were in the same position last last season. We got, we got promoted. We had a few. We had a, we had a, as I remind Ben, a cracking opening night win against Bath, like we did this season. We went and gave a really good game against Saris. We nipped another win, and then we lost loads. And everyone was saying, "Oh, why are you running out? You're 22. Why are you playing this expansive game?" And I see it being mirrored for London Irish. I think they will still win games at the Majeski to keep them up. So I would say, if you're a London Irish fan, all you're hoping for is to stay up and get into that Brentford Stadium, aren't you? That's all you're hoping for because, you know, that's all you want. So I think they'll do it. I think they'll survive. I think they, what they'll say to themselves is, we've been really unlucky. We keep getting yellow cards and red cards. It's our discipline. Let's tighten this. Sean O'Brien's coming back in a few weeks. We're going to do this. That's what I think. The players, the squad they've got are amazing. They, yeah. they are going to stay up. And you've got, obviously, the, the kidney kiss factor. <laughs> the kidney kiss? Yeah, the kiss that's, kidney. that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, they, are, you know, they are exceptionally good coaches. They, they will have prepared that team. Um, and hopefully, yeah, you know, you know, maybe it'll be Leicester or Saracens that go down. We can live in hope. <laughs> Who do you think is going to go down, guys? Well, come on, this is the I'm, big thing. Are you saving that for later? I'm going to save that for later because oh, because we, we've got no, no, no. We've had a tweet in in the last few minutes to, from uh, Ben's friend Lloyd Collins asking us about some predictions. So we'll we'll do that towards the end of the chat once we got the Exeter Saracens game out of the way. Um, let's talk about the big game, um, Ryan. You were you were going to be there, then you weren't, then you are, um, then you weren't. So uh, 30 each, Quinns versus Leicester. A really odd game of rugby, I thought. Just, 
it never really got going in the first half. It was littered with errors. There were lots of injuries. You think Leicester lost Calamaphoni early, which would have really dented their um really sort of dented their carrying ability. Um Quinn's lost uh who did Quinn's lost lose? The winger. Is it the winger? No, the centre. God, Matt, who? Zeke. No, the ZK scored. They they lost they lost somebody as well, and I can't remember who it was. Campagnaro, Campagnaro yeah, with, with a knee injury, um, which which led to them sort of changing tact a little bit, moving Caden Murley in, inside, and it was just it was so stop start. That first half went on for about fifty minutes, I think, um, and then all of a sudden it kind of burst into life in the second half. The Eastman try. Um, from the intercept, then you had obviously Marcus Smith and Rob Shaw, um, and then that magic bit of magic at the end from from Ford and and Vianu to get over to get to get Leicester the the draw. Um, Paul Gustard must have been absolutely furious come the end of that game because because Quinn's had it, you know, they had it pretty much sewn up. I thought middle midway through the the second half, and they just. Errors and not they were they were errors upon errors that were just compounding each other. Let Leicester back in. Um, did anybody? Did you watch the game, Ryan? Did you? Did you see yeah, I, I, I watched it live. And do you know what my um, two things about Leicester I wanted to raise? I think their England players actually came through for them because they're used to playing at Twickenham. They know it. And if you saw, they grew into the game. Your Fords, um, even like Dan Cole, Tom Youngs, they played their lows. They've been up the back against the wall. And you saw the Quins came out and blitzed them. And then you saw these old heads at Leicester kind of get it together. I think the Maul try at the line-out was a perfect example of that, of just like, we know what we're doing. Let's just, let's just play up the field, territory, John Eels rugby and do it through. The only other second point I wanted to mention, which you just raised, is there another Premiership team that is better without their marquee signing? Now I'm talking about <laughs> Tuolang. I'm talking about Tuolangi. They yeah. are a better side week in, week out without Tuolangi. Without do a doubt. You, do you think that that's because of potential over reliance? Do you think because? Or because teams tend to to know what they're going to do as far as game plan goes? Controversially, and please shoot me down if I'm wrong, I don't think he turns out for Leicester week in, week out like he does when he puts on an England shirt. Unless it's a big, big game. I think he doesn't bother. So there were a couple of games last season where he dragged that entire team through the game. It was like, it was like him and 14 people who'd never played rugby before. Um, it was like... The uh, what's the Adam Sandler film where they play American football in the prison? Oh, Waterboy. Oh, no, 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 the no, 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 Given the amount of rugby he's played in the last six to eight months, it's probably the most amount of rugby he's ever played in a in a three year period. Um, 
so he's probably not used to it. Um, no, I, I don't know. There's, I think there's just so many. There, I think there's something fundamentally wrong with Leicester as a as a club, and we've said it before. Um, they're coming away from a from a game against Harlequins, having scraped, absolutely scraped a draw. And they're still five points away from the nearest person in the table. If you take away salary cap fines, etc., which you're not you're not going to be able to do, but uh, they're not. There's something fundamentally wrong with that squad, with that team, with that club that goes beyond Manu Tuilangi. Yeah, I, well, I yeah. did want. Uh, go on, Ben. I I I just don't think they use him correctly, um, especially you know especially if Ford's not playing. I think they like almost over scheme. Um, and I think a lot of sides are guilty of this. They have a, a guy that can bust holes in at 12 or 13. And then they just use him as a decoy all the time. And you can only use someone as a decoy if he's a threat. Um, you know, I think one of the games Phil was talking about was they played, I think it was Scarlet's last season in Europe. And he must've touched the ball about twice in the first half and Leicester were getting beaten. And then they sort of went a little bit more route one and just used him. And, and suddenly he was, punching holes and um i do wonder if they should use him more but i i do think phil's exactly right there's something like leicester have been left behind haven't they it, it, almost like man united have um you know they're try- still trying to play the leicester way but they don't have leicester players anymore they don't have your johnsons and your oh i'm doing a rust now um you know people like johnson and corey and moody and roundtree they're not they haven't got players as nuggety as that anymore they've 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 maybe tried and brought Lavanini in, but he's he's just a loose cannon. Um, you know, they they can't overpower and intimidate teams like they used to. You know, their their pack's probably one of the least frightening in the league, I would yeah. say. The only really? thing I, the only thing I will say is I thought I thought Alex Gench had an yeah. exceptional game. He scrummaged um uh, Sinclair into into the ground at times he he, he out scrummaged Sinclair and then when Marla switched props um and I know JB mentioned this uh the other day he, Joe Marla is one of the best scrummaging props in the world um and it makes me feel a bit sick to say that but it's true um he flipped to the tight head um because of uh, because of an injury, I believe, and Genge just did the same to him, which goes, which is as much to show the difference between the two um, propping positions and the, the intricacies that, that they bring, but also the the power and the strength that Ellis Genge possesses. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's uh, a great opportunity. For uh, for him moving forward, um, I've been impressed with uh, Tafua for Leicester as well. I think he's he, he's you know a big carrier. He's gonna he's gonna make a real real impact for them. And for the first time in about three, maybe even longer years, I thought Kyle Eastman had a really really good game. Good, you know, interception try aside, I thought he actually had a really good game. And it was like the Kyle Eastman when he first um, when he first turned up at Bath. He went to Bath first, didn't he? Yeah, then to yeah. Wasps. 
um yeah he looked he, he looked energetic he looked strong i mean other than other than being absolutely steamrolled by uh Lesicki for the for the opening quins try he put in a massive hit on Lesicki but just he got was it just got overrun just got, yeah absolutely but it was a great it was a great hit he just wasn't powerful enough to to stop him and i don't think anybody in the world would have stopped Paul Lesicki in that um on that line for that try it was just you know it was inevitable as soon as he started coming in the other player that really impressed me and this bring uh, we can kind of circle round then potentially to to Exeter Saris was uh, Tom Lorday and i have been really impressed I, I i liked him when he came onto the scene at chiefs um surprised when he left um obviously wanted to play a lot more first team rugby more regularly phil no salary cap Salary cap. Yeah, he stopped being uh, an academy credit. There so you go. They had, to, they had to get rid of him to keep in the salary cap. Excellent. Well, that that's that's interesting because obviously Exeter, you know, there there are certain rumblings from fans. You know, I'm not saying they're just Saracens fans, but there are a lot of them questioning how Exeter can keep the level of squad that they have got without you know, potentially breaching the salary cap. Um, and my answer to to that was they've got a lot, they have produced so many players and they, there's got to be a time where, you know, there are more players than not that are going to be breaching their uh, academy credit sort of threshold, like Tom Lauday, you know, where, where they just, they come onto the scene, you know, you've got your... Um, Obviously, the Knowles and the uh, Cowan Dickies of this world. You've got your, uh, like, Tommy Flaherty has burst onto the scene last season. You've got, there's some young Dave Ewers and, and people like that. Um, you think that they would, you know, they're going to be clever, and I say clever enough, but business savvy enough to then stagger those sorts of academy credit contracts. So when they, when they do sort of expire, they're not all coming through or or coming to an end at once. Does that make sense? What I've just said there, I I was kind of just rambling a little bit. Um, No, it does make sense. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, with that in mind then, um, well, the both the Simmons brothers, uh, yeah, especially um yesterday and and this must have been a bit of a dream of yours ben um exeter 14 saracen 7 um one of the best defensive displays i've seen from a team in many in a premiership setting for many a season um the early try from Nick White where Saracens seemed to run out of ideas a little bit. They were just kind of, they were just bashing it at Exeter and Exeter weren't relenting. And then the mistake from Max Mellins um, letting Nick White, but no matter what Saracens threw at Exeter, they just repelled it all. And, you know, the level of, of defense was, was astronomical from them, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Saracens were were generally winning collisions. Um, I think 
that that wasn't their problem. Their problem was the breakdown where there's a shuttlecock up there. <laughs> Sorry, it was it was a, a little sneeze. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think, yeah, they really attacked the breakdown. They just tried to make a mess of it. Um, they, they got, I think it was six turnovers, but they slowed the ball down constantly. Cowan Dickey is a, an absolute menace on the floor. And they were also just getting boots in there and disrupting the ball. And, um, and that was what really did for Saracens. You know, they, they got into some very good positions, but they just couldn't finish them off. And it was either it was a mix of a turnover or a ball just coming out the back of a ruck and and just throwing them off kilter. They they went what looked like the wrong way on a number of occasions, um, probably because they were being hurried and getting the ball off the deck. Um, and you know, as you say, Exeter just hung on. You know, in every tackle, um, you know, the try was from them trying to hurry the ball wide the ball went to the ground and nick white who is a typical scrum half um, he is an irritant nick white yeah. isn't he? he really is abrasive he's like a rash but but what what a good rash if there's such a thing um yeah. you know and but, but and, not a but not a good tash no well but is I, it, you know, it, it's, it's well grown it is it's 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 a fine effort um but you know it was a good finish um extra probably only really um, needed the one chance that they got because they take them as many times as they don't once they get into that sort of 20, 22. Um, and, and that was probably the game. I, it, once a side got a two-try lead in, in that game, I don't think there was going to be much doubt about the result, really. Um, well, come on, uh, Owen Farrell missed two kicks, so it would have been yeah. 13. Yeah, but he'd already missed them, hadn't he? So, <laughs> no, but like what I'm saying is, it could have been a lot closer. It was so unlike Owen Farrell. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. I think you know, Exeter's try was very first try was very much some opportunism. Not that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Opportunism. Um, and and that, there was that brilliant piece of work by um, Simmons and um, Woodburn to Woodburn. stop the try just before half time. Yeah. Um, you know, so. You know, conceivably at half time, Saracens could have been, say, you know, thirteen nil up, really. Um, you know, with a with a, I wouldn't say a rub of the green because Exeter sort of fought for every single inch, didn't they? Um, but Exeter chances, Saracens didn't. Um, I think a lot of the talk about salary cap and and that was why it was so niggly might be a little bit um, disin, disingenuous because I think that. As much of that probably comes from the fact that they keep playing each other as in, in finals are the best two teams in the country. Well, it's the they're, new Leicester Bath, isn't it? Yeah, those games are always yeah. going to be niggly. I don't think really... I think someone mentioned it before the match in the commentary that the, the players probably don't really object to other players getting paid. It, it's, you know, it's a higher, you know, higher management level where the antagonism of that comes in. Um, but, you know, it was it was... Two really good defences. There was some some great rugby in it as well. Um, and you know, I think a game like that is is just as good, probably better, definitely better than um, something like Northampton Gloucester to me. Yeah, completely Phil. agree. Go on, completely Phil. agree. Um, no, I think 
I think the point you were making, Ben, about it could conceivably have been 13-0 to Saracens at half-time is actually, if it was 13-0 to Saracens at half-time, you would probably have said it's it's a fair reflection of the amount of ball they had and the amount of territory they had. Um, Exeter just had, they had nothing to work with in the first half and yet they go in at half-time 7-0 up. And it wasn't it wasn't just their first-up defence. You expect good first-up defence from Exeter. Um you expect with the likes of Karen Dickey and um, who was you, absolutely monumental. Karen he was at the breakdown. He was, um, and and Vermeulen was very good at the breakdown as well. But you expect them to be able to compete at the breakdown. Um, but it, it was also their scramble defence. It was almost Crusaders like their scramble defence. Um, when Saracens looked like they were going to break the line, it wasn't that you've got one person back there. All of a sudden, you've got six, seven Chiefs back there securing the ball, making those extra men if, if Saracens do get the ball. There were three or four times where you just think, oh, it's going to be a try here. And their, and their scramble defence was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think the thing that probably secured it for them as much as anything, because even at... 14-0 with 20-odd minutes to go. You still think Saracens are in with a reasonable chance of getting getting close. Was the the subs seemed to make more of, a, of an impact for Exeter than they did for Saracens. You've got Ben Moon coming on and making three or four fantastic tackles, as, as he will do every single game. By the way, not sure I approve of his new haircut. Um, <laughs> Sam, Hill, Sam Hill, I thought, was fantastic when he came on, but always is. Um, and again, if if you put comparisons with Bristol, where you lose a key man out of the midfield and all of a sudden it all falls to part, they lose Henry Slade out of the midfield. They they bring Devoto and Witten in. They play a completely different style of rugby, um, and they've got Sam Hill to come off the bench as well and and just secured it. Um, and I think it was that last twenty minutes. Just Saracens would have steamrolled any other team in the league, and yeah, Exeter did well to to keep him to a single try. Yeah, you made you made a very good point there, Phil, about the about the depth and, and we touched on uh, a second ago with regards to, you know, who they can can bring back in. They're picked they've picked up Vermeulen, you know, they let they let um they let Lorde go, but they picked up Vermeulen. Um they've got that um Hannes Kirsten, Hannes Kirsten well. who is an absolute beast of a man. He's a behemoth. Um, but yeah, Henry Slade is out. Yet they they bring in people like you know real Premiership um, stalwart type players. They're never going to set the world alight. But you know you look at Ian Witten and Sam Hill. You know they're pro- they're unlike you know Ian Witten never really got a look in for Ireland, which is why he moved over to to Exeter. Um, Gareth Steenson, another one. And you know we've been critical of his defence in the past, but these these really not just solid but very very good Premiership players that are happy being part of a a culture a system. And I had this chat with um, Duncan Keane on Twitter yesterday, which was how can how can they keep these squad players happy when you look at other teams who have got superstars in in their first 15 or 22 but then underneath struggle with those replacements a lot like we mentioned about Bristol potentially um earlier on 
and I do think that there is a there is an element of if you create the right culture and give everybody specific and defined roles perhaps and i'm not saying that this is what they do at exeter just it just seems to be that you know they have got at the moment and they have since they kind of arrived in the premiership they've added as the seasons have gone on they've added that sprinkling of stardust they've grown the likes of cowan dickie slade noel you know you bring into that um your stuart hogs of this world i mean the the international class of Stuart Hogg, Exeter wouldn't have dreamed of signing someone like him three or four seasons ago, I don't think. You know, Phil Dolman has been like a stalwart for them. Urian Wittens, Ollie Woodburn, you know, was a bit of a nothing player at Bath, wouldn't he? He couldn't really get a get a run out. Yeah, Exeter he's been fantastic. You know, they James Short, who we don't hear of at all anymore. Um you know, well, I, I interviewed um, I interviewed Jesse uh, for the podcast probably three years ago when Ollie Woodburn and Devoto had just signed from Bath, saying about how that was a bit of a bit of a change in in tactico for for younger people who they can grow and, and upskill over over time rather than supplementing their youth system with your your um, Thomas Waldrums and Julian Salvies and the like. Um, and that's just gone to the next level with with your Stuart Hogs. There's talk of Moriarty signing for him in the summer, and the they, human, human penalty machine. They but they can they can realistically be considered an option for for anybody globally as far as rugby goes. Salary might be a different matter, but yeah. Do, do but, you need do you need Ross Moriarty? I, that for me would be a bad signing. I think. Exeter have an embarrassment of riches in the back row. I would be doing a Stuart Hogg signing, looking where your weakness is and thinking, right, we need some quality there. And Nick, if Nick White's going back, do you need another quality nine? Yeah, I think I think where the the next place Exeter potentially need to look is is around nine and ten. Because Joe Simmons is the future. Um, but I can also see a world where Joe Simmons is playing either with or eventually replacing Owen Farrell for England. You know, yes, he'll be competing with the likes of Marcus Smith. Um, George Ford is still, you know, pretty young, uh, relatively speaking. So, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But like you mentioned there, Nick White, um, they've got Stuart Townsend, uh, Jack Maunder, um, and Sam Maunder, I think, is the younger Maunder brother. Yeah, yeah. and then you've got uh, obviously Sim- Joe Simmons and Gareth Steenson. I think where they need to look is is for that second ten. And I don't think the, where I think Exeter have been, whether it's clever or whether it's good management, or it, it's not like a backup ten. It's not like right, we've got um, Owen Farrell, and then you've got um, Matt. Um, Manu Vinopola, Manu Vinopola and, then, the, and then we've got Lazowski or Good, or yeah, someone who can slot in, or Malins, or Malins, or, <laughs> or we've got um, we're going to spend all this money on Sopawaga, but we've got Jacob Umaga and Billy Searle. Um, it's very much a a partnership, equal playing time, you know, or maybe not equal playing time, but it's a 
it's a role. It's a defined role. These are the games you're going to play. These are the reasons why this is the way we're going to set up. This is the way we're going to play as a team. And you're the guy to lead us through that. Um, and obviously, Steen, I, I can't see Steenson carrying on too much longer beyond this year. I'm not totally sure what his contract situation is. But, um, you know, that's where I think Exeter need to need to look, you know, moving forward, I think. Um, a bit of handbags towards the end, a little bit of frustration. Um, I mean, I've got to be honest, it was good to see. I, I like, I like that sort of, you know, it didn't, it didn't boil over. It didn't go over the top, but it, it showed that they, you know, they all cared. They all, you know, they were all there supporting the team. Um, Harry Williams legging it down the touchline with his, with his onesie on um, was, a, <laughs> was, was a little bit odd and he paid the price for that. What do you make of that? You know, it, 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 just a bit of a rush of blood. I mean, people were criticising Tony Rowe for sitting in the dugout laughing about it, but you know, it, it's six of six of one afters of the other. It was it was something and nothing, wasn't it? I'm struggling to have a serious opinion on it, to be honest. Yeah. Give give him a one match ban for being a prat, and that'll do, won't it? I don't, I don't see. I don't see if it's worth anything else. You know. What are you going to say? Rugby players get involved in a fight, you know. <laughs> it wasn't even it a, wasn't fight. a fight. No, they don't have was fights it? Anymore. No, but and you know, you had you had people on Twitter saying that's not a good look for the game and stuff like that. And I'd imagine ninety-seven percent of people in the ground were were really quite enjoying it. So, you know, I've and, I've and probably thought it is a good look for the game to have people who care. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen lots but, of stuff but on. Who Twitter. started it? Who started it though? Nick White, Nick White, uh, Duncan off. Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's going on with Duncan on Taylor's the... lead, by the way? That's oh, no, it's awful special, isn't it? On on the Steenson thing, sideshow Bob. He's going to turn thirty-six in April, so yeah. I think you're probably right. This is his last season. Yeah, it's it, it's got to be something, and you know, you'd think there's a uh, there's a plan of action there for um, for Rob Baxter to to address it. Um, Overall, though, as I say, we we mentioned Exeter's defence. Do you think Saracens were a little bit too one-dimensional at the time, just to 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 stick to to the game plan, even though Exeter were fronting up so well? You know, they didn't go wide often enough, or they didn't um, try and go wide often enough. I, I it it sort of struck me maybe they got their selection a little bit off. It their default in the Premiership is if it's a big game that they need a win in. They tend to go with size in their, in their forwards. Um, so they put a at six. Um, I wonder if they might've been better with maybe Earl um, just to get to the breakdown a bit quicker. And he's a very strong ball carrier as well. But did, did you see Ben Earl? I mean, I know it was later on in the game. The did you see him down the wing gas yeah. in Hollywood burn? Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I asked James, uh, bless him. He just came out of hiding because he knew Dougie wasn't around. Um, <laughs> I asked what happened to Rhodes because I think Rhodes would have been well at home in that match. He's um, he's got a lot of dog to him, and he's he's a good rugby player. Uh, but he's he's out injured, I think, at the moment. Um, and I wonder if maybe Saracen should have perhaps just gone with a little bit more speed, just to because with Exeter you've got Cow and Dickies effectively an extra. It's almost like having an extra seven on the pitch. Um, so maybe that was perhaps a slight 
sort of error. But I mean, to be fair, I think they'll to get out of there with a even even a losing bonus point for coming away from Exeter is isn't the end of the world for them. Um, I don't think they're going to lose many more games. Yeah, some teams go to Sandy Park and win. You know, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that's catching them unawares, though, isn't it? <laughs> that's true. Um, how good, just to, just to go back for a little, just a slight little bit more of a of, a, of an extra loving. How good has Sam Simmons been since he returned since his return from injury? Um, I I wonder, you know, when he got that knee injury sort of it was this time last year wasn't it i think or just just before christmas last year um whether missing out on this world cup has actually done him a little bit of good because i say because when whilst it would have been monumentally disappointing he's been able to go away get fit you know he he was slightly ineffectual in the was it in the, the Six Nations? Yes, when when Ireland thumped us at home. Yes, um, that's right. And he that style of of eight, you know, we know Eddie Jones likes to play the big the big ball carrier, but you know he he seems to have added a bit of power. I I I still think he might be a little bit underpowered as an international eight. If you look at the eights you've got at international level, you, you've got got Vermeulen, Billy, even Kieran Reid. They're, they're they're more they're bigger and more powerful. But where I think he he absolutely should have a role for England is, you know, in the squad. Um, you could put him on the bench and he could cover six, eight, six. and seven. You, you know, and twelve probably. Yeah, I mean, twenty minutes at the end of a game. You know, put him on there, eight, and then you've you've got a whole different animal there. Um, especially if they're if they're set up to combat someone like Vunipola, and then you you put um, pace like that on the pitch, then then perhaps that's his role at international. I I I, I would worry a little bit about um, the the final little finishing touch of power. But you know, as, as you said, he he was brilliant yesterday. So with his so was his brother. Um, He's he's that kind of hybrid back row player though, isn't he? He's much better. He does much better groundwork than your typical eight, um, but perhaps isn't quite so strong with his carry. Does a lot more work defensively. Does a lot. Puts a lot more tackles in. I think. I think what was it? Something like thirty-five tackles by Simmons yesterday, um, and a fairly even split between the two of them. Again, Sam uh, Joe Simmons puts in far more, far more defensive work as a ten than most tens would. Um, but yeah, I, he's one of those players that I think you try and find a place for him in the team if you can, or in the squad if you can. But he's not necessarily going to stand out above and beyond somebody with a specific skill set like a Billy Vanipola. Yeah, and it depends how you set your the rest of your pack up. If you've got if you've got big carriers elsewhere in the pack, you know, if you had a big carry in six, for instance. You know, or you could potentially play Sam Simmons at six, yeah, and and then have Underhill or Curry at seven. You know, and depending on what the makeup of the opposition is, you probably wouldn't do that against South Africa because you you'd need the you know the the ballast, or you might or or you might actually do that against South Africa because he adds that little bit more power than than what Underhill might offer, for instance. Um, 
but you might against a team that has got a slightly you know smaller pack that you want to you know to or to to run about and and to to power over that way then then it might be something you look to do you know it, again it's horses of courses isn't it it would have been yeah. nice to have the option to bring him on in that world cup final wouldn't it yeah it Just, might change things a little bit you know with 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 9 or 10 points to get in 20 minutes then what have you got to lose and you know for all the um qualities that our back rowers that we had in that squad in south africa have got perhaps turning a game that that you're chasing wasn't wasn't one of them and you know yeah he's definitely got a role yeah cool right um i've got uh, some predictions here lloyd collins has asked for some predictions for 2020 so i'm just gonna gonna throw these out there um i want one one name answer you know maybe a little bit of background if you feel like it but uh six nations winners ryan france Ben, oh, that's a, that is a tricky one. Um, go on, England. Phil, England. I like France. I was I was thinking France as well. They're almost coming towards you know something a little bit a little bit say special, but they're coming towards something. I think France with Sean um, Edwards. Yeah. They're going to be a whole different different proposition this year. Uh, I think England have got to go to Paris as well, haven't they? Um, so you know that that could be the the defining game. Um, Premiership winners, Ben. Exeter by a country mile. Phil. Ditto. Yeah, but, I'm going to... but not but not a country mile. Exeter, a one. Exeter for me, Ryan. Yeah, unfortunately, full house. Uh, Phil, who is getting relegated? Leicester. I think all it's going to take is one of their key players getting injured, be it Genge or Ford or whoever, um, and they just haven't got enough. Ryan? I'm going to stick my neck out here and say Sarri's. Oh, that would be so good. Do you want me to explain it? (laughs) Go on. So they got Racing 92 on 19th of January, which they're going to have to go out all guns blazing because they're you know, they're going to do it. The week after that, they've got Harlequins away. I predict Quins will win that one, just because the fire. I think they'll also lose at Northampton away. I think they'll also lose, uh, let's just say Bristol away, because it's during the Six Nations. I think they're going to lose at Sale away. And I think they're going to lose at... I think they'll lose one other game away at home in a shock and I think that'll see them down because mm. I think Leicester will scrape it I think it'll be tight but I think Saris will go down imagine that that would be incredible very unlikely but I just yeah. think it might be a possibility well, I think it... with England break and then the psychology and I know they're tight but I think it could happen yeah the only thing that might save them is the fact that the season goes on till June. Well, I've just looked up all the games, and their last game is Bath at home. So I reckon they'll. Ben. I reckon they'll finish top six. Uh, no. Ben, London Irish. Oh, London Irish. No, they're safe. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Leicester as well. I just think that there, there is. We mentioned it already. I think there's something fundamentally wrong at Welford Road. And I don't think Jordan Murphy 
and unless they potentially replace him or give him some help very soon, um, I think that they could be in some some quite serious bother. Um, the next question is the European winners. So both competitions. Uh, I'll go first. So I think actually I think uh, Bristol could win the Challenge Cup. Um, and I think that uh, Claremont will end up winning the Champions Cup. Ben. Um, Leinster. And oh, I, I don't even know who's in the Champions Cup. Zebra. <laughs> yeah, go on, Zebra. My voice. <laughs> My voice. Phil. Uh, Leinster and Toulon. Ooh. Brian. Um, I'm going to have to say Bristol. £330 uh, Thursday night flight, Saturday morning flight out, accommodation. Already looked in Marseille. And I'm going to go Racing. Ooh. Oh, dropping down, dropping into the tournament. Um, is, it, is, it, is it the Stade Velodron in Marseille? Is that what it is? I think, I think yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it is. But it's £330 if anyone wants to come. £230, Thursday night, back Saturday morning. Oh, gosh. I think that uh, that could spell divorce. Um, <laughs> where, where do I sign? <laughs> right. Um, and the final question is, one thing that you that will be a surprise this year in 2020, can go beyond rugby if you wish, um, but a surprise for 2020... Phil. Um, athletes from with no country assigned to them will finish fifth in the Olympics, Olympic medals table. What, like a none of the above type of affair? Yeah. Uh, will a lot of those athletes be called Vladimir? 95% of them. And the rest, <laughs> the rest will be women. <laughs> non-binary <laughs> Ryan any, anything that's going to that you think might throw up a surprise in 2020 um, high profile union union players going to league I know it's really happened with Sonny Bill but I'm talking about in this country I think there'll be a few Ooh. Manu going to Toronto as well, well everyone keeps saying George Ford don't they George Ford to rugby league, yeah, but to play dummy half. You know, contract. Well, he's, contracts he's, up. Yeah, he's mad at league. Apparently, he's a proper northerner, isn't he? He loves it. <laughs> Should I try it? You think he could? I mean, it's all double tackles and and minimal offloads in league, isn't it? But if you um, you could see him as a as a, like a, a diminutive like Rob Burrow, you know, type, jiffy, jiffy type sort of dummy half. Jeffy was a fullback, wasn't he? But yeah, either, either way, it, it makes you know there there are those players that uh, that exist in that. Ben, uh, I'm going to say um, Nick Nick Tompkins to score in the Six Nations. Ooh, nice. Um, and if I was feeling really brave, I'd say Jonathan Joseph to be top scorer in the tournament. Wow. Je- oh, interesting. Very, very good. Um, 
Okay, let's move on. Oh, to... What about yours, Ross? Oh, I was hoping <laughs> you didn't ask. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I've got no idea. Um, there's so much. I, I'm going to have to give it support. I'm, I'll tweet it out what my surprise is going to be for this year because I, I can't think genuinely. Um, any other business? Yeah, I've got so many other Go business. On. I've Go got on, to right. sort out this chat you had the other week about this British and Irish league and everyone's saying, what oh, good idea it was. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. It's the worst idea I've ever heard. It's like what they're doing with the cricket. Is it the big bash or the 100 ball thing? Oh, the 100 so, so Somerset don't have a team. They All the Somerset fans who, if anyone knows anything about cricket, as you guys do, Taunton gets sold out completely for all the 2020 games, T20, everything. Yeah. Their team is in Cardiff. Who in Somerset is going to go to Cardiff? What are we going to have? The West Country Wurzels with like Bath, Bristol, Gloucester and Exeter combined. It's just awful. Stop it now. It will never happen. The Prem is amazing. Let's just tighten up the European game a bit better or even reduce the Prem a little bit to 10 teams or what, so you can have different pools, but keep them in the clubs themselves. Don't create these Hybrid ridiculous teams. crap teams. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I just didn't want to make that chat last more and, than half an hour last time. And, and don't ring fence anything. Yeah. You need, to have, you need to have promotion and relegation. But you've got to have it maybe like Premier, uh, like Rugby League, where there's got to be criteria in place. And uh, so, so you know, so you can't just have a team come up with totally like a London yeah. Welsh. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'd love, look, guys, I'd love for Cornish Pirates to get a chance to play in the Prem. They would be my second team, and I would go to the away match and everything. It'd be great. But they need to have the stadium, and they need to have the, the infrastructure in place. Now, I completely yeah. get it. The one thing I'd like to see is if, if more than anything else, is um, if they are going to change it, make it like a, a conference type system. So if they're yeah. going to expand it, make it a conference, make the Premier conference type affair. And and then work it work it that way, and then have you know I don't I don't know how it would work, but like the NFL, a little you bit. still play the odd game against the other team. You just yeah. play home or away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that way, you know, you still get you still get your derbies, you still get your you know your big games, um, but you might only get Sale, Exeter once a season. You know, either way, so. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, ben, any other business? No, I don't think I've got any. Yeah, I know you're going to mention what I was going to talk about. Go on, then. No, you you talk about it. Well, we played we played golf the other day. Um, Nuki Hornets golf competition. I'm not I'm not one of nature's golfers. I only play once a year, and uh, I went around with Russ, who plays a lot. And uh, contrary to his public image. He was very supportive and helpful, and I really enjoyed going around with Russ. <laughs> I tried. So, I tried. Um, yeah, a lot of advice, a lot of encouragement. So uh, thanks a lot, mate. And I, uh, I enjoyed the day. No, it was it was good. And uh, for um, any Nuki Hornets that do listen, Phil, I'm surprised you you couldn't make it or you. No, I was you... working. I was working, but I, I remember Russ when he was shit at golf, um, and uh, it wasn't that long ago. So it's good that he can remember his roots. And provide did, some support to other people. I did manage to hit one drive off at an angle, which was, I mean, what kind of angle would you, behind square? 
Uh, yeah, it, it was. It was almost. It was almost like three a, point. Uh, yeah, it was. It went. Yeah, backward point, third man, and I've no <laughs> idea how it happened. It was. It was exceptional. Um, but no, you know, for somebody who plays golf once a year and has got the the oldest club there, I think the clubs are older than yours, Phil. They're like uh, Hick, like. I they think he, hickory. I think he he borrowed them off a bag of vans. I think, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was it was good, and it was a it was a lovely sort of wander around. Just so happened that you know I managed to win the competition, but we you know we don't want to talk about that too much. Um, but yeah, it was nice. Good. Second second last, as you asked. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and guess who came last? Uh, one of the original podcast members. Perry Hughes. Oh, was it Perry? <laughs> he came dead last with 16 Stableford points. He wow. did, however, have the best dressed and the best looking caddy <laughs> um, I've probably ever seen. So, uh, Scott Stevenson, if you do listen, what what an exceptionally dressed caddy. So, uh, yeah. Phil, any other business? Um, yeah. Firstly, uh, Twitter polls are a waste of time. And thanks to, the, <laughs> thanks to the six people who voted for me as their favourite all over host. And the rest of you can all fuck off. Um, second of all, there's there's been a lot of chat recently. I don't really like talking about football, but there's been a lot of chat recently about VAR. Um, and there was a phone-in on Radio 5 about it. Um, and it, it was just pissing me off a little bit in that people were going, oh, the prop VAR is awful, VAR is crap, oh, we're getting all these decisions going against us. And, and all they can ever remember is the decisions that go against their team. I'm not saying the way VAR has been implemented is perfect, and there's lots of things that could be done to improve it. But when all you can do is quote times when your team's lost out and none of the t- times when your team's gained through it, I, I think you're kind of looking at it from a slightly biased viewpoint. But one of the things that really pissed me off was somebody phoned in and said, oh, if we stuck them up on the big screen and then at least people could engage with it. Really good idea. Um, and Mark Halsey was there and he goes, oh, we couldn't do that because Man United haven't got a big screen at their at their stadium. Yeah. And whoever was hosting it, I can't remember, I think it was Chris Walker. I, I almost want to say it's Man United and Liverpool. And Liverpool, yeah. Um, it was like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure with all the money Man United have, they could stick a big screen up. And they and they were like, oh, yeah, but then they wouldn't be able to sell as many seats. Well, hang on a minute. What's what's important here? Is it getting a system that works and engages people, or is it the finances of one club? I'm pretty sure if the Premier League turned around and said, you have to have a screen of X amount of size at your ground so that we can play things from, things from VAR, United and Liverpool would fairly quickly get screens up. If it yeah. was a choice between that or dropping out of the Premier League. So, yeah, don't come out with this bollocks that you can't do it because United haven't got a screen and they kept on like people would phone up with suggestions from other sports rugby league rugby union cricket whatever about things things that that could happen somebody suggested that each team should get like three reviews and if if they're upheld then they get them back if they're not then they then they lose them and some and the answer was oh but that wouldn't work for football and that was the standard stock answer was that wouldn't work for football why wouldn't it work for football I tell you what, I tell you what doesn't work for football. We're trying to do it differently to everybody else. <laughs> exactly. That's like, what's not working for football. Isn't just just learn from other people who have done shit and have learnt from it themselves, uh, and kind of work out what what's likely to work. Not just create this whole new system yourself. Is isn't the reason it's not on the big screen because the minute they do that, every ground will 
turn into like a scene from the Battle yeah. of Agincourt. Um, but I think um, they they need to have some kind of um, a bit like umpires call in cricket. So you know, yeah. if an offside is down to an exactly the width of a shirt, oh. then you know they, they need to have some margin for error um, because it's so, so dependent so, on a camera angle as well. Yeah. So totally. Com- Completely. There's like you're, you're turning this into a sensible conversation, Ben. Sorry, man. And, and that's the point: was the phoning wasn't a sensible well, conversation. The, oh, that wouldn't, but that wouldn't work for football. The stupidest, the, the stupidest argument I've heard was someone was banging on about it ruins the goal celebrations. Yeah. I oh, mean, I, who cares? Stop. I think you're so right on offsides. Um, <laughs> as a Norwich fan, I'm going to be biased here. We got robbed a goal at the weekend, and I'm going to say Rob. And then I read that VAR is only um, accurate to 30 centimetres. And I'm yeah. like, there, that is ridiculous there. There is, you know, oh, I it, can't it was, tell you. It was, you need to have to, there was a millimetres in it. it was, yeah, like, you'd, have to have, you'd have to have referee to say, look, there's nothing clear and obvious there, like they do in rugby. Go no, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Saints fan. We should have lost at the weekend. That, that West Ham goal that got disallowed shouldn't have been disallowed. Do I mean West Ham? Crystal Palace, sorry. Mm-hmm. Crystal Palace goal that got disallowed shouldn't have been disallowed. He was offside by the width of a finger. Um, and that's not within the realms of, of the technology. So you're absolutely right. It needs some degree of, this is ambiguous, you go with the on-field call. It, it needs the refs on the pitch to actually make the decisions, not people in a in a van somewhere it needs big screens it needs communication around what's being checked with var and why it's being checked it needs all kinds of things but what it doesn't need is people going var is shit because we got robbed of a decision and we need to get rid of it out of the game as quick as possible for for those of you that are interested in the var and football debate there's a um like an article of why VR can never be definitive for offside. You can, Gar- you can, you can fuck off to another podcast as well. Yeah, <laughs> Gary, Gary, Gary Lineker has, uh, has retweeted it. Um, but it shows, you know, if Raheem, they've used an example, in between a camera taking frame A and frame B, a player, Raheem Sterling, moved 13 centimetres while running at about 15 mile an hour in between two frames. You know, and you think of how I mean, Doug would be able to explain this probably better than any of us as far as frame rates go and all that sort of stuff. Um, but if you cannot, between those two frames, definitively say whether he's offside or not by the time the guys pass the ball, then how can you know for sure? That's why the, the, it can never be definitive. So that's uh, yeah, fucking VAR. And as a Tottenham fan, we've benefited and as well as uh, um, had it used against us so you know the only team that it seems to go in favor of all the live long day is live var paul by the looks of things um who seem to get everything going their way um any other business from me um today i don't know if any of you have ever seen this and this is just a bit of a, a funny thing there is a, a twitter account called is today ted danson's birthday <laughs> i don't know, i don't know if you've ever seen it um and every day, today is not Ted Danson's birthday. Uh, yesterday, it was Ted Danson's birthday. The 365 days a year, they just tweet out, today is not Ted Danson's birthday. But now I know that on the 29th of December is Ted Danson's birthday. And I've deliberately 
not looked it up on Google because I wanted to I wanted to have that surprise when that tweet came out. And I know it's really sad, but uh, the enjoyment I got from just following this one account to find out that Ted Danson's birthday was yesterday rather than just Googling it to find out when it was is pretty sad. But, is this what happens when you move to Cornwall? You have to do shit like this. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just to, just to keep entertained. Um, right. Let's let's get out of it. An hour and a half of a podcast. Loads of great stuff talked about. Um, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us once again. Hopefully, you'll come back soon. Um, fingers crossed. We'll hear from the lensman again very soon. We know um, how much all you guys love hearing from the lensman and according to our, our twitter poll he is your favorite ball over person um yeah. yeah thanks matt for voting 12 times yeah yeah was was there uh was there going to be any other outcome to that poll I, i'm not entirely <laughs> sure there was so uh yeah thanks very much for joining us ryan ben phil i'll see you very soon and uh we'll, we'll see you all later go well Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.